Welcome to Dead Pilot Society, the podcast that takes comedy pilots from A-list writers that were sold and developed in networks but never produced and gives them the table reads they never got a chance to have. I'm Andrew Reich, the creator and co-host of Dead Pilot Society. Few tickets remain for our next live show at Largo at the Coronet in Los Angeles. Here's the cast so far. Patton Oswalt, Tony Hale from Veep, Dave Keckner from Anchorman, Michaela Watkins from Casual, Constance Wu from Fresh Off the Boat, Baron Vaughn from Grace and Frankie, Mel Rodriguez from Last Man on Earth, Mikey Morgan from Better Things, Marcus Scribner from Blackish, and still a couple parts to cast. It's going to be amazing. Go to Largo-LA.com, Sunday, November 12th. Buy some tickets. A little update on the pilot that I'm supervising. I mentioned last time the writers and I were working on an outline and we had arrived at something that we liked. Studio liked it a lot too. And then uh, the network weighed in and it was one of those, hey, we really like this, but could you just do everything differently? Notes, uh, Scorched Earth kind of eradicated everything we had done so far, not in terms of the characters or the premise, but in terms of the pilot story. When something like that happens, there is this kind of fuck these people feeling that's just hard to avoid. And what I told the writers I'm supervising was, look, take the rest of the day off. You know, until the, that anger fades, there's no way you're going to be productive. And then the next day, you start thinking about the note with an open mind. You see if there's anything valid there. You, you often have to look past the specific suggestions or maybe the way they delivered the note. But once you get past that, there usually is something there that can make the script better. And what I know from having done this a lot is that you have to kind of time travel ahead in your mind. It's likely that you're going to come up with something that you like even better than what you had. It may take a couple of weeks, but you know, at, at that point, if someone said they wanted you to go back to your original outline, you'd probably be bummed. But you just have to imagine the, the, the self you're going to be in a week or two weeks or however long it is, and then you have to get there. And it seems to be what's happened. You know, we came up with a brand new story. We all like it. The network likes it. And the fact is, as writers, we do sometimes dig our heels in on something uh, out of laziness. We just don't want to come up with another idea. And, and we think of these false starts or the ideas that get thrown out as just wasted time. But I'll say I went to hear Jennifer Egan talk, and it was really inspiring. For those of you who don't know her, she's a novelist. She won the Pulitzer Prize for a visit from the Goon Squad. And her process seemed crazy to me, but it's just she has an idea. She starts writing. She doesn't have an outline. She just goes for it. She starts trying things. And she could write a whole first draft of a novel that way, then go back, read it, and she might throw almost all of it out and start again. She might decide the tone is wrong, the point of view is wrong. Uh, she doesn't have the right voice for it, but she's learned by trying these things out. And she seemed completely fearless about trying things that might not work. Now, as TV writers, we don't have the same luxury of time, but I think it's good not to think of those discarded drafts as wasted time. Most of the time, you are learning things that'll ultimately make the finished product better. Uh, I'll keep you updated as things go on. Our dead pilot this time is Robot Daughter by Greg White. Greg has written on Brickleberry, Trip Tank, Netflix's Puss in Boots, got a really interestingly deranged mind. Uh, it's a really funny pilot. It's the first animated dead pilot uh, that we've done. It's a wild one. There's definitely some language in here. Um, here's my interview with Greg and then a recording of Robot Daughter after a brief message. Hey there, folks. I'm writer and performer Dave Holmes, and I host International Waters, where we pair a team of comedians in L.A. against a team of comedians in London in a pop culture trivia battle royale. Comedians like Jimmy Pardo. My Aunt Pat for Christmas once got me a uh, candelabra, you, you know, for my collection. <laughs> and my brother said, I didn't know you collected candelabras. And I went, I do. I now have one. <laughs> Bill Dwyer. Bob Barker's turning over in his almost grave right <laughs> now. He's very furious. <laughs> and many more. Join us every other week on International Waters with me, Dave Holmes. Find it on MaximumFun.org or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, I'm here with Greg White. Hey, Hello. Greg. Hi. Uh, to talk about your dead pilot, Robot Daughter. Yes. Uh, yeah, well... 
Tell me about how this, uh, how, how it started, where the idea come from, and then, you know, who'd you write it for? And... Sure. Uh, so, it, actually, I wrote a version of this script probably years before we sold it as, like, an Adult Swim kind of thing, and I actually pitched it around very limitedly as an Adult Swim pilot, and the joke was kind of like, the robot in the show is sort of like a lawnmower with a, an old crappy Macintosh for a head, like Johnny Five style. And it was sort of that like, uh, you know, the oh, the nerdy girl and her glasses are off and everyone, oh, something about her, she's pretty attractive, you know? And so the joke of the show then was sort of like, no one understands that she's a robot, even though she's the most literal machine imaginable. And like the jock on the football team is like, something about her is special, you know? It's like, oh, that's... That there's no way you find her attractive. That, like, that can't be true. She's like a box with like wires poking out of her. And it was really violent. Like in the pilot that I had written back then, she uh, meets the, the jock, the captain of the football team, you know, QB1 guy, and pulls his arm off while shaking his hand. And uh, he has to miss the big game. So she fills in for him. And it's just like a literal slaughter. Like she's roaming the field afterwards, like medieval times, like killing all the people in the crowds. Like she did it. We won the game. Like no one acknowledges <laughs> that she just murdered like 30 teenagers. Um, you know, and then so I pitched that to, um, this is a show actually I mentioned before, Trip Tank. Um, I pitched to them as like a short, uh, as like this ongoing series we could do. And uh, they didn't, we didn't do it for that. I did something else for them eventually but i happened to be in this uh shadow machine was the company that makes trip tank i'd been in their office one day and watching an animatic or something like that for the other series that i was doing for them as part of trip tank and i ran into um the guy who runs the studio alex bulkley and he was like uh, oh hey that robot thing by the way i mean literally as we passed in the hallway that robot we should do it as like a half hour uh, pitch and i said okay and so we started developing you know uh well, they are doing designs and that sort of thing, which takes quite a while. We can maybe talk about that, perhaps, if that's yeah. interesting. Um, and so the logline, we should say, you know, oh, so, yeah. so quickly say what the show is. Right, you know, so is. The, the, the show is essentially, um, uh, I mean, the very short version of the show is, you know, a robot <laughs> female in high school. Uh, the slightly longer version is there's this uh, inventor, sort of a very low-grade uh, Tony Stark, and he's kidnapped by Russian paramilitary forces, as one does. Um, and uh, is forced to make this killing machine for them. And he actually pulls it off, and he's really bad at inventing stuff. Like, they're going to kill him if he doesn't do it and go to the next guy. And he pulls it off, and he makes this thing under great duress, and um, he begins to feel this very paternal pride for it, though, because it's his Sistine Chapel. You know, you can't believe he actually did it. And so he uh, takes it on the run, basically, because he can't, he can't give it over to these thugs. And he escapes with it, and um, slaps like human skin on it and just enrolls it in high school to kind of hide it in plain sight. So he's sort of the, the joke of the show essentially was um, if she doesn't fit in, um, everyone dies in her family. And so it was sort of this metaphor of like how badly you want to fit in. And if what if high schoolers and the silly nonsense that takes place in high school, what if that was your only data set of what was right or wrong or important? you'd be an insane person. So kind of like taking that to a literal or logical extreme of like kissing the cute boy, for instance, like, oh, okay, she's told this is a thing you're supposed to want, but she's a robot and doesn't have nuance. And so it's like kissing the cute boy becomes this war game and she will kill anyone, you know, to achieve this goal. So that was kind of the okay. initial so, idea. So that, yeah. that became the new version of this. And at that point you yeah. took it and pitched it where? So we pitched it probably like all the usual places that would do that kind of show. I mean, animation is sort of basically only cable. You can only pitch it to for the most part, which is about probably what I'd want to do anyway. Um, I don't know if I have like a, you know, there's like not really like a CBS version of this right. <laughs> robot, it's, it's murdering a, robot show. Yes, it's, a, it's, it's an unusual, you know, I should say, it's, a, it's the first animated show that we've done for mm. Dead Pilot Society. And, and we've done, we've, you know, we've done a lot of cable stuff, but we haven't right. done, you know, an and you had actual show, cartoons so. reading it, which is amazing. <laughs> it was incredible. It was hard to get 2D people, people yeah. <laughs> in the 3D space. It was very disturbing. So those places are like where? MTV, so yeah, yeah Comedy MTV, Central. Comedy Central, um, Adult Swim, kind of. I mean, they, they do what they do, and it's either yes or no kind of with them. Um, we pitched it to, I don't think Netflix, because they kind of are different beasts when pitching animation. I think they want a little bit more than just a pitch often. I think we pitched to Amazon, maybe. 
Hulu, you know, kind of like this is back in 2000 and I don't know, 15 or something like that. So and it's then, weird. Like certain places weren't like CISO was around for a minute. Right. You know, it wasn't and now it isn't again. And, and so you ended up selling it to MTV. To MTV. Yeah. Which, so we sold it to them and we had a great, um, it took a while to kind of get like the artwork, you know, you, they would sort of, uh, shadow machine that is would send us designs and we go eh, maybe more like this like, or here's here's 10 designs for the main character and uh you know oh maybe maybe this one and a bit of this one as well and let's combine those two designs so it just took a while to even get the pitch up and running but yeah eventually... i've never been in an animation pitch so when you pitch an animated show you are showing them a visual you can style. yeah i don't anymore actually because okay. the last time it it was a great experience, but it just took so much longer. Um, the last show I sold was also animated uh, to FX, and we didn't go in there with anything. We just and I think you know, and this might be a tangent, but I, I do think there is a benefit to having artwork. But I do think there's a certain sense too where if you show someone a script in a pitch or as part of a pitch, you know, hey, here's the script we wrote. Like, there's that kind of there's a it's a, a weird thing to do maybe because they go, well, I don't like this. And when you pitched, I had a different thing in my head, but and now you're on the page, it's like, uh, I don't know. But at least they know what a script is. Showing them art for an animated show, I think, I'm not sure how many people actually understand animation or even like animation. So when you go in there, they might be willing to buy an animated show, but if you start immediately lead with, hey, here's some designs, they go, man, it's a cartoon, I don't want to do a cartoon. So it's a weird thing. And I think going forward, I probably would do it the way we did it the last time without artwork. Um, but yeah, we went with artwork and stuff and MTV bought it. And um, really, you know, delightful process of, you know, working on the outline with them and writing it. Um, their only real note was like, don't be afraid to kind of push it further, which is okay. like, I'm thrilled yeah, which to you, hear that. Yeah, did. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, I, and, you know, there were probably things that I event like didn't turn in in the end that were probably like a step too far like in the in the earlier version of her like murdering people and just disemboweling children and stuff like you probably have to you know i was like well i don't want them to be this frightened off yet like let's earn that a little bit but then ultimately i think once i turned in the final draft i'm not sure if like there was a regime change or if like there was about to be one but they at some point decided they didn't, they didn't want to do animation anymore and they didn't really, well, I say anymore, they didn't have it at the time either. So I guess just at all. So, you know, again, like, it's a wonderful experience selling pilots. Like, you get to, at the time I was on a different show, so it was kind of like my side thing. But it's a lovely, I mean, you know, it's like, oh, you're going to pay me to write this thing that I've been thinking a lot about? It's, it's unbelievable. So there's no complaints whatsoever when a pilot doesn't go. Um, but you're sort of like, wait you know this is animated right like, like <laughs> right. let's think so you haven't had an animated show on since like liquid television or maybe there's a couple in between there but um which was kind of the like the real aesthetic uh inspiration was that aeon flux uh that that kind of wave of really like adults kind of like gritty gross creepy animation that was not silly it was just sort of like american anime you know, right. and it's a really interesting space to kind of operate in, um, sort of pre-adult swim, I guess that was, Liquid TV. Um, but again, you kind of go like, well, let's just try it. You know, it's going right. to cost you nothing. <laughs> they, and they haven't done animation since. They haven't they done it not. since? Yeah, I think their last show they did was called, it was like a surfing show. When I was on my first job, uh, the show on Comedy Central, this show, uh, Hangtime maybe? I don't know, I forget what it was called. But it was like a surfing show and they were in the same office as us at Viacom in Santa Monica. Um, but I think that was like their one little like blip of doing animation for a minute. So, yeah. But it seems like they must have, they, they let you, they gave you a lot of free reign. I mean, I've sensed reading this, you know, I read it like you were having a lot of fun and it didn't oh, yeah. feel like sometimes you read pilots have been through a development process and you feel like, oh, they've been tamed. Yeah. They've been bland, you know, the, the writer didn't really get to just kind of let loose. It feels yeah. like you, you got to really let loose writing them. yeah and i think that's also one of the benefits of animation too is like there's it, it's rare that they would say like tone it down because like, then why are we doing an animated show right. you know it's like you know we need more of this animated show i just like two guys talking i mean king of the hills did that very well but <laughs> you know yeah and yeah it, it's funny because you know like when i read it i didn't i wasn't picturing it 
animated. Mm-hmm. You know, and I, I figured it was going to be kind of a hard show to, to pull off some <laughs> of the stuff, but it felt like, okay, you could, you could do this. Like, yeah. So, like it's an extreme version, like a CW show, you know, right. like, like, but yeah, kind of darker and funnier and more outrageous, certainly. But, right. but it was, um, it never even really uh, occurred to me. Yeah. And that's, I think also, you know, we were talking a little bit before, like I, I never intended to kind of just do animation. Like most of my staff jobs have been animated. Um, or actually all of them have been, I've, developed and pitched live action stuff before. Um, but it does seem to me where I'm at the point where I, I genuinely like animation so much. And when I write something and a pilot, especially that I'm, that I have complete control over well, relative to the amount of control you have over anything. Um, my like secondary or tertiary goal is always to write something that's like so good or at least so funny or something, whatever. So whatever <laughs> that someone reads it and goes, Oh, this is good. Not, oh, this is good for an animated show. show. This is actually good, you know? And so, um, yeah, I don't know. I think I have, I have a bit of a sort of uh, an axe to grind, maybe, <laughs> whenever I write something. Uh, maybe it's the Jersey in me. <laughs> <laughs> sort of just being from a diminutive state no one likes. Hey, I'm from there, too. Are you really? Yeah. Oh, nice. Um, but yeah, you're... you're, you're one of the actresses. Oh afterwards. yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was very complimentary, but one of the uh, great cast we had came over to me and said, uh, "This is really good. Like, why don't you do it as like a real show?" It's <laughs> like, well, it's a real it, it would be a real show. Yeah, yeah, shows. yeah. Yeah, it exists, and we didn't imagine this uh, this live read. So it is. I mean, it's you. It, it is kind of like if Lindsay Lohan's character in Mean Girls mm-hmm. was a was a robot right i mean it's yeah really, yeah it's a little bit uh, is you know, so how um did you imagine like going forward uh you know do you have story arcs in mind did you have a sense of how you know was it be really more of the sort of high school relationship yeah yeah i mean a little bit of that i think the idea was kind of twofold like one um to have sort of serialized storytelling kind of thing going for it. So you'd be dealing with some of the genre stuff, you know, the, uh, her dad having lied to her about her mother being alive or not. Um, and then also I wanted to, again, in that same way of trying to make something that was actually just good and had grounded character, um, tell these broader stories about her feeling isolated and her feeling, uh, as anyone would in high school to an extent. Um, but it wasn't really so much in my mind, like, oh, this is the one where like the party happens. This is the one where she has a boyfriend. Although that would be certainly the thing. I think you could kind of look at all of the high school tropes in a way and just do those. But with this one degree of separation where all that stuff in high school feels that much more ridiculous because she's taking it so seriously. Um, but I think by the end of it, I mean, in the dream scenario, like you'd see her uh, like going to college and like at a certain point, like deciding like, am I going to be a person and just kind of like pursue this kind of human route or am I going to just become this, you know, killing machine? And you could, I mean, totally do a season where, like, her dad hires her off as, like, a missionary. You know, or, sorry, a mercenary. She's, <laughs> she's spreading religion. Right. Yeah, yeah, as a missionary. Like, so this mercenary killer. Um, and, or, you know, for her, perhaps her school job, she's, like, going off, you know, on weekends and assassinating world leaders. And at the same time, she's doing kind of mundane high school things. Um, but yeah, I mean, I wanted to kind of play with all of that, you know, right. get to do the genre stuff, but also kind of, you know, comment on my own high school experiences or probably anybody's as like, it's kind of an insane thing, high school really, where you're just like shoved in a, a giant cinder block building that basically architecturally is a prison and with these people. Uh, and at the time, you don't know that there's a whole world beyond high school. And so, uh, yeah, I think it would have been a lot of fun to, uh, revisit some of that stuff <laughs> for yeah, sure the, one of my favorite parts is the the, the fitting in montage you, you guys will get to hear but you know there's her observing who fits in and right. trying to yeah your behavior and yeah and how to fit in and how weird it is the things that do make you fit in yeah in it's kind of crazy. crazy like you'd be an insane person as an adult if you were like if you just took what you know yes or no binary choices of like you know is this important or not important in high school like is it you know important to have a a strong internal life you know or uh have intrinsic motivations in high school no 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 no. you know you'd be this weird uh i mean basically would be a robot essentially you know so uh yeah i think there would have been a lot more um it would have been weird i think going forward to given she's a killing machine and 
I wasn't really thinking of school shootings at the time, but like mm. it would been weird, like and really cool, I think, in this kind of like Tarantino way to like she stops a school shooting from happening or something like that. And like just to dive into some weird kind of darker territory would have been really fun too, I think. Yeah. I mean, you have, you know, there's sort of the, the action movie tropes. Yeah. Yeah. With, and then the, the high school movie tropes. And, you know, it's fun. Right. In the pilot, you really blend both of those. You have them yeah. both going on. Well, I'm, I'm masterful uh, writing, so yeah. It's I mean, incredible. <laughs> yeah. It's, it is incredible. Yeah. Um, like the font was good too. Did you like the font? Did you notice that? Uh, yeah. Not Curry or New. That was one that I designed almost the same as a uh, semi-tone different. It's absolutely genius. Thank you. Thank you. Um, well, I, and I think, you know, Kiernan Shipka who oh, plays, you know, was, she was just, so good. She was really kind of, you know, she was perfect great. voice for this. You know, yeah. Everyone, you'll battle your, you'll hear for yourselves, <laughs> uh, momentarily, but it's, uh, it's such a fun, uh, crazy, uh, pilot and yeah, uh, just, well, I really thanks. loved it and was excited to do it and. Well, it's a great podcast series. I mean, like to give, I mean, you have the experience of, you know, of making stuff and you go, oh, this would be awesome to make this. You're so stoked on it for like a year or however long. And then you're like, wait, we don't get to make it. And then like six months later, do you ever do the thing where you talk to your agent and like, hey, can we bring that thing back? What do you think? And oh, they're sure. like, I mean, we pitch it to everyone. We can yeah. like, yeah, I often wonder, like even with this show, I'm like, what if we just put a different name on it and told them it was live action? Like most of these like, probably aren't there anymore or they've changed places. Yeah, I mean, you there's know? so much turnover. And also if it was live action, you have a whole slew Totally right. Put Chuck Lorre on the title page. Right. I don't think he'd mind. Right. Spill you already it. got Dan Brown on there. So <laughs> That's right, could, yeah. Uh, That's right, yeah. Chuck Lorre. Yeah. Well, it was great. Uh, thanks for letting us read it. Thank you. Good to talk to you. Likewise. Dead Pilot Society is supported in part by HelloFresh. The meal kit delivery service dedicated to making cooking fun, easy, and convenient. Each week, HelloFresh creates new delicious recipes with step-by-step instructions designed to take around 30 minutes for everyone from novices to seasoned home cooks short on time, all for less than $10 a meal. And all delivered to your doorstep in a special insulated box for free. My Dead Pilot Society partner, Ben Blacker, and I both tried this out uh, separately. We don't live together. Uh, we both tried it. We both got the vegetarian option, and it was delicious. It really did take less than 30 minutes to prepare. My kids liked it. It's good stuff. Try it out, you food eaters. For $30 off your first week of HelloFresh, visit HelloFresh.com and enter promo code DEADPILOTS30. This is Robot Daughter, written by Greg White, based on the novel The Da Vinci Code by Dan Brown. <laughs> We fade in, cold open, we're on a suburban street. Police sirens wail and a chopper swarms overhead. They're in hot pursuit of a shadowy figure on the run. The figure runs past us and we stay with it, revealing a teenage girl with red robotic eyes. This is Robbie. She sprints through the streets like a hunted animal. She gets a running start and leaps across four lanes of traffic into a side street. Suddenly a squad car screeches up in front of her. We hear a cop over the PA. Robbie bolts in the opposite direction and leaps onto a fire escape ladder, climbing with incredible speed up onto a rooftop. She leaps from roof to roof, the chopper pursuing her like a giant angry insect. Whoosh! Its blades get a little too close, and Robbie has no choice but to leap off the roof and wham onto a parked car below, shattering the hood. Unscathed, she keeps running. Downtown moments later, Robbie weaves in and out of traffic frantically with the cop, car, and chopper still on her ass. She dashes into an intersection and looks up just in time to see a truck barreling straight towards her. And then, darkness. We end the cold open. Act one, two days earlier, we're in Robbie's bedroom at dawn. Your average teenage girl bedroom. Pink walls, band posters, clothes strewn about, a skeletal metal cyborg. Wait, What? The cyborg's eyes glow softly like your MacBook in sleep mode. The clock clicks over to 6 a.m. and begins beeping. Suddenly, the cyborg's red eyes bolt open. The cyborg places its hand on a framed family portrait, which causes a secret panel to open up in the wall, revealing several creepy-as-fuck mannequins covered in human skin. (laughs) The cyborg begins peeling skin off the mannequins like sheets of lasagna and laying it over its own body. Faceless, it applies its face and hair off a humanoid bust. From its robot POV, we see it scan some outfits laid out on the bed. Lesbian, poor person, widow, before deciding on a human father-approved blouse and skirt. It laces up a pair of Chuck Taylors, puts its hair in a ponytail, 
and using a teen magazine as a guide applies just the right amount of makeup to its now human eyes. It steps in front of a full-length mirror, and we finally reveal the finished product, a teenage girl. This is Robbie, our hero. The exterior of Ned's house morning, a security camera hidden inside a lawn gnome's eye swivels silently, focusing on a mailman at the base of the driveway. Interior of the kitchen, a monitor shows the live feed from the camera, widened to reveal Ned in his 40s, paranoid, not as charming as he thinks, peeking through his kitchen blinds, staring hard at the mailman. A mailman? This early? Yeah, right. You must think I was born yesterday. Ned pulls a sniper rifle out, cocks it, and takes aim. I'll see you in hell, you Russian son of a bitch. (laughs) Just as he's about to shoot, his son comes in. Morning, Dad. Ned pulls back on the shot, and we widen as Ned's biological son, Dale, enters. He's 14. We notice for the first time that we are in a suburban kitchen, if you ignore all the high-end surveillance equipment. Morning, Dale. Ned tosses the rifle aside, cavalier. Dale sits and Ned scrapes horrifically burned eggs onto his plate. I made a big breakfast for my big man. So, what do you think? Am I the next Iron Chef or what? Dale takes a bite of his black eggs and gags. Then, politely... Mmm. You know, I think I'm really starting to get a handle on this whole fake dad act. But you're not a fake dad. Dale holds up a photo of Ned and young Dale fishing. Ooh, that's very convincing. We'll need the neighbors to believe that if we don't want to be murdered in our sleep. Ned laughs a little too hard and claps Dale on the back. Just then, Robbie enters. Good morning, family. She assaults Ned with hugs and high-fives Dale. How'd you sleep, Robbie? Kidding. You don't sleep. That's how we joke. (laughs) (laughs) Robbie laughs hysterically, then stops suddenly. (laughs) Hey, Dad. Want to see something cool? You know it. Dale picks up a baseball bat and whacks Robbie in the face with a metallic clank. Robbie doesn't even blink. Isn't that hilarious? I don't know how it took me so long to realize this was a thing. This is how we joke. (laughs) Robbie laughs hysterically as Dale continues to whack Robbie in the face. Ned watches, gazing at them proudly. Your mother would be so proud of the way you two get along if she were still alive. Ned inhales, on the brink of a flashback. Actually, Dad, we should probably get to going to school. But it's too late. Ned leaps onto the table. There we were, two young scientists in love. We're in a Russian bunker ten years ago. Ned, now 80s action movie ripped, and his wife Rhonda, 80s action movie busty, (laughs) work in a makeshift lab chained to a bench. Two Russian guards point rifles at them as they work. Your mother had just given birth to Dale when Russian paramilitary forces kidnapped your mother and me, forcing us to create the ultimate killing machine. In a prison cell, Ned and Rhonda go at it on their cot. We're talking deep fucking. (laughs) By day, we would push scientific boundaries, and by night, we pushed sexual boundaries. Hard. Jesus. <laughs> We're in a bunker. Exhausted, Ned and Rhonda step back from their lab table, revealing a metal cyborg. This is Robbie. It took nine months, but we finally did it. You were our Sistine Chapel. Hey, that's me. We're in a Russian general's office at night. Ned and Rhonda present the cyborg to a Russian general. But when the time came to hand our greatest creation over to those bastards, we just couldn't do it. So we ran for it. Ned snaps a guard's neck, grabs his rifle, and blows the general's head off as Rhonda pulls a knife out of her boot and stabs another guard repeatedly in the eye. We're at a Russian airfield. Ned, shirtless and oiled up for no reason, pilots a chopper off the ground as the cyborg and Rhonda hang onto it from outside. We were almost home free. Almost. Suddenly a bullet hits Rhonda, and as Ned turns in horror, he watches his wife fall in slow motion. We're back in the present in Ned's minivan. We come out of the flashback to find Ned parked in the school's parking lot with Robbie and Dale. Your mother died that night, and I've never forgiven myself. Dale rolls his eyes at Ned's (laughs) melodrama as they exit the car into the parking lot. Ned turns to his kids. If the Russians ever find us, they will murder me, and given his delicate features, very likely sell Dale into sex slavery. (laughs) What? And reclaim you, Robbie, unleashing your terror into the world. Not my terror! Don't worry, sweetie. 
We'll be fine as long as you just fit in with the rest of the kids. Understood? Fit in. Got it. Brian Kressler, the handsome, wheelchair-bound QB1, rolls by and purposely bumps into Dale. Dude, watch it. I'm handicapped over here. Oh, hey, Mr. K. Looking forward to class. Well, me too, Brian. Robbie stares at him, completely smitten. From her POV, we see him scanning him and determining that he is a broken robot. Hi, Brian. Oh, hey, Robin, or whatever. Later. Robbie sighs as Brian slaps Dale in the dick and rolls away. (laughs) What a nice young man. Anyway, Robbie, remember, just fit in or everyone dies. No pressure. Ned cocks a gun, shoves it into his ankle holster, and walks off whistling. In the high school hallway, where there are shots of savage teenagers in their natural habitat, texting, gossiping, flirting. Sad music plays as Robbie watches her would-be peers longingly, alone in a crowd. A teen girl waves, and Robbie excitedly waves back. But then the girl moves past her, and Robbie realizes she was waving to someone else. She deflates a little. But then she hears... Robbie! Robbie looks up to see her best friend Shirley approaching. Shirley's 16 and a pleasantly ironic free spirit. Robbie scans Shirley's face and we see best friend appear. She brightens. Shirley! Hi, hello, hi! What up? Oh, just standing here, observing our fellow also humans, as we do. Speaking of which... A couple of football players walk by, wheeling Brian. Shirley smacks one on the ass as he passes, garnering a confused reaction. Keep it tight, fellas. Shirley takes Robbie's arm and they walk. So, you psyched for the three Tiffany's party Friday or what? The three Tiffany's? The three fucking Tiffany's. Robbie looks down the hallway and we smash Zoom in on the three Tiffany's. A trio of overly sexual, gross, and wealthy teen girls. (laughs) As they walk down the hallway in slow motion. Electronic dance music kicks up and we flash inside Robbie's mind as she scans her digital dossier on the three Tiffany's. Facebook profiles, skanky Instagram selfies, and hacked cell phone sexts. We come out of Robbie's POV as the three Tiffany's walk by. I heard they run a fight club for hobos. That is so cool. Do you think Brian Kressler will be there? I would kiss him so hard on the mouth that he'd die. Aww. Robbie's phone buzzes, a text from Dad. Don't forget to fit in, buzz, or we all die. (laughs) Robbie looks up to see him waving at her from across the hallway. Big thumbs up. We have to get invited to that party so my family isn't murdered. (laughs) Yeah. Wait, what? In the cafeteria later, Robbie and Shirley sit together, scheming. If we're going to get an invite, we either have to A, know someone in their inner circle. Impossible. It's airtight. B, blackmail them. There's nothing we could say about them that hasn't that they haven't already bragged about a thousand times. Or C, ask them politely. Great idea. Super friendship high five. <laughs> Robbie violently high fives Shirley and runs off. She stalks over to the three Tiffany's table and pretends not to stare. Hey guys, you know how you're always trying to purge because you're so fucking fat, but the school psychologist is always watching you so she can narc to your parents? Angle on a school psychologist watching them closely. Well, check this out. Tiffany number one jams a finger down her throat and vomits into a Louis Vuitton bag. (laughs) Oh my god, you are literally a genius. They start laughing. Hilarious. Robbie walks over to them and starts laughing as the Tiffany's slowly stop laughing. (laughs) (laughs) Laughter sounds. Hi, my name's Robbie. And um, you're all so pretty. In summary, can I please come to your party? Thank you. Robbie curtsies as the Tiffany's start laughing in her face. Robbie looks at them confused. Yes, we're all laughing now. (laughs) Splat. Tiffany one slams the Louis Vuitton bag of vomit onto Robbie's head. Vomit drips down her face. Get the fuck out of here, narc. <laughs> Not understanding, Robbie puts her finger to the vomit and tastes it curiously. The Tiffany's burst out laughing. Oh my God, she ate the puke. Now everyone is laughing at Robbie. Shirley buries her head in her hands, mortified for her friend. Ew, you freak. I'm not a freak. I'm just a normal teen girl human like you. Robbie looks around, scanning all the laughing faces around her. 
Her eyes glow red and she clenches her fists. A system alert blares in her head and she's about to go full Terminator. As the tension hits a crescendo... Excuse me, one sec. We're interior of the bathroom. Robbie bursts into the bathroom and looks at her reflection in the mirror for a beat. Then she punches the mirror, shattering it, and starts tearing the bathroom apart like a maniac, first ripping the doors off and then kicking the toilets out of their foundation. As she continues going full Terminator, we go into the hallway. A janitor stands just outside the bathroom holding a mop, listening to Robbie's chaos with utter confusion. And we end Act 1. Act 2, we're in Ned's house in the afternoon. There's an establishing shot, and then we snap to a cross-section of the house, over which we hear... And then I ate the throw-up, because I got confused, and then everyone laughed at me, and then I beat up the bathroom. We, we descend down through the dirt and various layers of the house, revealing a basement, and then beneath, several layers of lead and concrete, a sub-basement containing Ned's secret workshop. There, in the middle of a suburban Tony Stark laboratory, Robbie stands stripped down to her metal endoskeleton with her front panel wide open as Ned makes some repairs. And now the Russians are going to murder you and they're going to make Dale perform the sex acts just because I couldn't fit in. She bursts out crying and Ned looks concerned. Don't cry, sweetie. He presses a restart button inside her and she stops crying. You told me to be myself and it didn't work. I have to get into that party or I'll never fit in. And then everyone dies! Look, if you want to fit in with the cool kids, then all you have to do is act like the cool kids. So you're saying that if I want to fit in with the cool kids, all I have to do is... She speaks in Ned's exact voice. Act like the cool kids. (laughs) That is exactly what I just said in literally my own voice. Yes, that is what I'm saying. (laughs) We're in the kitchen later that night. Robbie sits in the kitchen flipping through a celebrity gossip magazine. She stares at a photo of a pretty actress enviously and tries heartbreakingly to mimic her face. A moment later, Dale enters. She looks up and reacts. Dale, what happened to your face? It's nothing. Just this guy at school, Brian Kressler. My Brian Kressler? Uh, I, I guess... You know, for a guy in a wheelchair, he's a dick. (laughs) So, I was thinking, what if you... Dale, no. Let me finish. Murdered him. It's too risky. And besides, he's basically my boyfriend. Robbie hands Dale a small remote with a single button. But look, you're my brother and I love you, so if you're ever in real trouble, just press this button and I'm there. Thanks, Robbie. Dale takes a slurp of cereal and immediately starts choking. He presses the button frantically. Robbie rolls her eyes and whacks him on the back. We're at the high school the next morning, and Robbie walks into school on a mission. All right, Robbie. No pressure. Music kicks up as we launch into a Robbie fits in montage. On the high school campus, a couple makes out. Robbie stares at them from around a corner. She scans them. Blip. Face sex. Fits in. In the hallway, a cute guy stands at his locker when suddenly Robbie rushes in, lifts him up by the crotch, and begins furiously making out with him. The Tiffany's walk by and completely ignore this. Robbie sighs and drops the guy to the ground and storms off annoyed. In the high school, Robbie watches a small group of goth girls lamely tag the school. Blip, vandalism, fits in. Later, Robbie concentrates as she spray paints something off screen. Widened to reveal she has painted the Sistine Chapel on the side of the school. She steps back proudly. The Tiffany's walk by, ignoring her once more. Robbie punches the wall, frustrated. In the hallway later, Robbie watches discreetly as a guy in a hoodie slips two pills over to a cool chick. Blip, drug dealer, fits in. That's it? Drugs, of course. Robbie (laughs) smiles as the montage ends. We're in a sketchy part of town. Shirley follows Robbie through a slummy part of town. Where are we going? This is where you go if you want to get murdered and raped. And in that order. Shirley and Robbie reach the entrance to an alleyway. Shirley starts to follow Robbie in, but Robbie stops her. Wait here. Robbie turns and walks in. We're exterior, a sketchy as fuck alleyway. A A gang of drug dealers sit on and around a ratty couch. Robbie approaches them cheerily and they stand, menacing. 
Hi, I'd like to purchase some drugs, please. Specifically Adderall, but less fashionable drugs, such as cocaine or molly, will also do. Gang member number one pulls a knife and gets up in Robbie's face. I got a better idea. How about I cut your tits off? Big mistake. In a blink, Robbie grabs drug dealer number one's arm and snaps it in half. She grabs the knife effortlessly and slashes his neck, spraying blood all over her face. The fuck? The g- <laughs> The gang surrounds her as drug dealer number one bleeds out noisily on the ground. Robbie sizes them up. Suddenly, they attack. Within seconds, Robbie has maimed or murdered all of them with Jason Bourne efficiency. Limbs are lost. Heads are removed from bodies. It's a massacre. On the street corner, concurrently, unaware of the carnage happening under her nose, Shirley scrolls on her phone, bored. Back in the sketchy-as-fuck alleyway, gang member two runs down the alley, pursued by Robbie. He reaches the dead end of the alley and turns horrified as Robbie closes in on him. Here! Take the drugs! Take the money! Whatever you want, Heavenly Father! He tosses her a bag, big bag of pills and a stack of cash. Robbie keeps on marching toward him with dead eyes until she is inches from his face. He pisses himself. Then... Thank you so much. Bye. <laughs> Robbie picks up the bag of pills, ignoring the cash. We're in the high school hallway later. Robbie stands in the hallway wearing a druggy hoodie, holding the bag of pills out in front of her. The Tiffany's approach, completely unaware of Robbie's presence. Hi, want some drugs? They brush past Robbie, ignoring her once again. She watches them go, heartbroken. Robbie drops the drugs on the ground and walks off. A beat later, the janitor walks by and picks them up. Score! In the bathroom, moments later... Robbie sadly walks into the same bathroom she destroyed earlier. It has been shoddily repaired, and a light fixture dangles from the ceiling. She enters a stall with a sigh. Stupid Robbie. Everyone you love is going to die, and it's all your fault. Then the three Tiffany's walk in and enter adjacent stalls. Did you see the way Todd Cooper was looking at me? You should totally let him put his P in your V. (laughs) Robbie listens for a beat, then she gets an idea. She speaks in Tiffany number three's voice. Hey, guys, we should totally invite that Robbie girl to our party. Who? She now speaks as Tiffany number two. You know, Robbie, that one girl who fits in and is definitely not a freak? I heard she kisses boys, does vandalism, and has drugs. Oh, right, her. Yeah, she's a maze. I think she's from, like, Brazil or Japan. Robbie speaks as Tiffany number one. So it is agreed. We invite the cool girl who we all agree is cool. Agreed. Robbie bursts out of her stall and exits hastily. We're in the hallway moments later. The Tiffany's march down the hallway just as Robbie reaches her locker. Oh, hey guys, what's up? We talked it over and will you come to our party? Oh my gosh, we'd love to. We? Yeah, my best friend Shirley and I. Ew, no, Shirley can't come. What? But she's my best friend. Yeah, we heard you the first time, but no, she's gross and poor. Hope you can make it. Bye. Robbie ponders this, clearly conflicted. A moment later, Shirley rushes up. Did we just get invited to their party? Yes. Yeah, bitch. (laughs) Shirley begins jumping up and down. USA! 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 (laughs) Off Robbie's concerned expression, we end Act 2. Act three, we're in Ned's classroom. He stands lecturing to his students. Behind him on the blackboard, he has written, cyborgs are not real. And so in conclusion, artificially intelligent machines are merely a work of science fiction and definitely do not exist. A girl raises her hand. Will that be on the AP exam? The what? A, a, voice, comes on the PA, a voice comes on the PA system. Will Ned Kovacs please come to the parking lot? Your car is on fire. Ned reacts, unnerved. We're in the parking lot. He rushes through the parking lot where his car is indeed on fire. A fire truck is pulled up and firefighters are on it. Oh, God. Oh, God, my car. Dad, over here. Ned turns, revealing Robbie hiding behind another car. Robbie, did you do this? I need to talk to you in private. Robbie pulls him aside while he glances over his shoulder at his burning Mazda minivan. So you set the car on fire? I got invited to the party. Ned brightens immediately. Oh, that's terrific, sweetheart. That's the best news I've heard since you set the car on fire. But the girls who are hosting the party said I can't bring Shirley, and I don't know what to do. I feel weird inside. Am I dying? No, you're not dying. That's just your conscience talking. Well, my conscience is ruining my life. Could you take it out? Uh, That wouldn't end well. Robbie sulks as firefighters struggle to put out the fire. Look. 
Sometimes in life, we have to choose between our family not getting murdered by Russian paramilitary troops and hurting our best friend's feelings. That's an incredibly specific aphorism. <laughs> Just then, kaboom, Ned's car explodes in a fireball. Oh, Jesus, God, no. Ned rushes off towards the flaming wreckage, leaving Robbie to ponder her shitty predicament. In the parking lot in the afternoon, Brian Kressler and a bunch of football players are in the middle of an affluent white guy rap battle. <laughs> Brian is up. Yo, my name is Brian, and I, I like sports. My legs don't work. Okay. <laughs> suddenly, suddenly, whap, a balloon splats against Brian's chest, spraying shit all over him. <laughs> Brian and his gang react. The fuck? They look up, revealing Dale holding an armful of balloons. Brian sniffs his shirt and gags. Oh, dude, what the, what the shit was that? What the shit indeed. It was a balloon full of a homeless guy's feces. Oh, gross. Uh, One of the other football players asks. Sorry, wait, hi. How do you know whose feces they were? Because I paid him. <laughs> you literally paid a homeless man to shit for you. Yes. Uh, how'd you get the feces in the balloon? I mix the feces with water to dilute them. Then I used a pipette to uh, fill the said balloon. The football players nod. That's, that makes sense. Yeah, that's oh. the only way to do it. <laughs> well, you're dead, bro. I'd rather be dead than covered in a homeless guy's feces, which you're about to be more of. Ha! Splat, splat, splat. Dale hurls more balloons at the team. Football sports team, attack! <laughs> The football team charges as Dale pulls Robbie's remote out of his pocket and smiles smugly as he presses the button. A beat, then nothing. Um, Dale reacts hmm. a little concerned and presses it again. And again, no sign of Robbie. He looks up and whammo, the team tackles him and begins beating him mercilessly. We're exterior at Shirley's shitty house later. Robbie climbs the front steps and rings Shirley's bell when suddenly, beep, 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 the underside of her wrist glows. Dale's distress signal. She reacts, about to turn around when Shirley opens the door. Hey, homegirl. So excited for this party. You want to come in? My stepmom is passed out, so we can watch TV. Uh, yeah, about that. Um, the Tiffany's told me you can't come to the party, but I'm going to go anyway. Robbie covers her mouth as though she said a dirty word. What? But, but the party was our thing. I'm sorry. I just really need to go to that party. Oh. Oh, I, yeah, I get it. You do? <laughs> that is such a relief. You think you're better than me. Is it because your dad is a fancy science teacher with a fancy Mazda minivan? And because your family eats off of plates instead of out of an old boot? Oh, look. A dumb Shirley and her lower class family eating food out of an old boot. Well, first of all, his minivan blew up. Second, how would eating out of a boot even work? Is it like doled out across several boots? It's one giant boot. <laughs> and we eat porridge from it family style. <laughs> Come on, you don't really do that. Yes, Robbie, we do. That's what happens when you're raised by a single parent. <laughs> You eat from a boot. I don't think that's true. Don't change the subject. We are no longer friends. Goodbye. Shirley slams the door in Robbie's face. Off Robbie, hurt. We're in the living room later. Ned and Dale look through the blinds as a pizza boy walks up to a neighbor's house. Dale's got a gnarly black eye. A pizza delivery at this hour? Yeah, right. It's dinner time. It makes complete sense for pizza to be delivered now. Oh, Dale. So simple-minded. Ned pulls a grenade, but is interrupted by... Ahem! They turn, revealing Robbie dressed real skanky. Well, well, well. Look who finally showed up. He holds up the remote and throws it at her. She catches it without looking. Sorry. Something came up. Nice outfit. Is it hooker prom already? Dale wheeze laughs at his own joke, coughing up blood. <laughs> I think my lung is punctured. Do you like my dress, Dad? <laughs> no. I love it. You'll fit right in with the rest of the hip t 
teen mom. Thanks, Daddy. <laughs> she skips out of the house. Ned calls out after her. But hey, no drinking. Yeah, I'm sure she heard me. Boy, I'm a great dad. <laughs> Ned walks out of the room and shuts off the light, leaving Dale alone in the dark. We're at the party house later, a giant McMansion. Teens descend onto the place like horny ants. Robbie approaches and takes it all in. Wow, the promised land. She smiles and walks up the lawn. Interior of the party, Robbie enters the house and looks around this teen wonderland with awe. Keg stands, beer pong, dancing, boys. The Tiffany's come running up. Hey, Robert or whatever, you made it. Yes, I am here. By the way, a little bird told me that Vincent Lanzano has a crush on you. Tiffany 3 motions over to the cute boy from earlier. You should go talk to him. The Tiffany's push her over to the cute boy. Sup? Want to go to Pound Town? <laughs> from inside her POV, we see her scanning a database for Pound Town, USA. Zero results. I don't know where that is. Sorry. <laughs> he grabs her boob and she reflexively cold cocks him. He crumples to the ground, probably paralyzed for life. <laughs> oh, um, sorry. She shoves him inside a closet and hurries off. <laughs> We're in Brian's Camaro. Brian swerves his car through the streets while his football bros try not to show their nerves. This party is going to be so tight. He floors it. Woo! That's a sick engine, baby. Woo! Uh, hey, hey, Bri? Should you even be driving, you know, since the accident? Don't you talk about the accident! I'll kill us all! I'm so depressed! He screeches the car into oncoming traffic. His bros scream for their lives. But Brian swerves back into his lane and the bros exhale. Holy shit. Brian laughs, crazy. Oh, 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 man, you guys should have seen your faces. At the party house, at the exterior of the party house, moments later, Screech, Brian pulls onto the lawn of the party house, and his bros wheel him up the walkway and into the house. A moment later, Dale emerges, followed by a hobo. All right, that's his car. I hope you're topped off. <laughs> the hobo climbs onto the hood of Brian's car, pulls down his pants, and pops a squat. I gotta say, this uh, whole fecal obsession of yours is pretty fucked up. <laughs> Even for a rail yard hobo. <laughs> hey. He notices the house. I used to be in a fight club in here. <laughs> in the party house concurrently, Brian and his crew roll into the party. Yo, MCBK in the house. Let's flip cut this bitch. Robbie reacts nervously and turns to a drunk girl. Brian's here. Do I look all right? Oh my gosh, what if he proposes to me? The drunk girl vomits in response. Brian rolls over to a giant table where an epic game of flip cup is underway. Robbie cocks her head and watches this strange tribal ritual. Robbie approaches. Oh, hi, Brian. I didn't see you come in. This social alcohol game looks so amusing. Can I be on your squad? Whatever. You can count on me, Brian. <laughs> he belches. Let's do this. And with that, the game begins. Robbie stands back for a beat, watching the other kids, learning, and then... So you do it like this. She begins drinking beers and flipping cups with precision. A small crowd gathers to behold this wonder of wonders. Hells yeah. Faster and faster she goes, chugging beer after beer and flipping cup after cup as the crowd eats it up. Inside Robbie's POV, we see an alert notifying her that she is nearly at maximum capacity as Brian videos it on his iPhone. Oh, snap. This is awesome. Ignoring her alert, she does an unassisted keg stand and drains it before kicking the keg over. The crowd rushes her and raises her arms like a boxer. That was sick. Robbie and Brian lock eyes. Is this love? Brian, there's something I need to tell you. I, I love... Robbie twitches. Something's definitely wrong. Excuse me. I have to go now. She stumbles through the crowd blindly. From her POV, we see her blurred Terminator vision, badly damaged. <laughs> Chick is wasted. In the party house bathroom, Robbie stumbles into, in and slams the door behind her. An ear-piercing electronic noise begins to rise, and she covers her ears. Her alarms are going nuts. System overload. Her head is pounding. Something is coming. Suddenly, boom, her whole body goes stiff as a board. Exterior of the party house, from high above... We see an electromagnetic pulse ripple out from the house. Entire sections of the power grid fail. We go to a Homeland Security office concurrently. A Homeland Security agent sits near a monitor and sits up suddenly as he notices something. Oh, dear sweet Jesus. His hard-ass boss rushes in and reacts. Christ on shit. Look at the size of the pulse. Launch the choppers. Call the local PD. 
At the Air Force Base, concurrently, Apache choppers fire up and fly off into the night sky. At the local police station, several squad cars screech out of the parking lot, sirens wailing. In the exterior of the party house, the hobo pulls his pants up as Dale hands him a stack of cash. Ernie, always a pleasure, my friend. Hey, it's like the saying goes, you keep giving me cash, and I'll keep pooping for you. <laughs> Suddenly a cop car screeches up to the house and shines a light on Dale and the hobo. Dale blanches. In the party house, moments later, a generator kicks on as every piece of electronics freaks out. Blender, stereo, microwave, cell phones. Robbie struggles to maintain her balance. Suddenly sirens blare out, and a random partygoer yells, Cops! Run! Exterior of the party house, two cops try to corral the partygoers swarming out of the house as Brian's bros wheel him out a side door. They get to his car and, whoa, it's covered in shit. What the fuck, my car? Dale steps forward with the hobo behind him. That's what happens when you're not nice. You get hobo poop on your car. Ha! <laughs> you know I basically have to murder you now, right? Brian tackles Dale, falling out of his wheelchair and wrestling him to the ground. Just then, Robbie staggers out of the house, disoriented. Robbie! Amidst the chaos of cops chasing partygoers out of the house, Robbie looks up to see her one true love beating her brother. She looks at Brian, looks at Dale, looks at the cops. What to do? She panics and takes off running. A cop yells, Freeze! Robbie rushes back into frame and rips Brian off of Dale, lifting him to her eye level. She kisses him hard, then... Sorry. She headbutts him, knocking him out, and tosses him aside. She gives a thumbs up to Dale and rushes off. We're exterior suburban streets. She runs through the streets frantically, blinking wildly through her distorted, fritzing Terminator vision as the cop car gives chase. We relive the cold open as she dashes into an intersection and looks up in time to see a truck barreling straight towards her. It's about to flatten her when, wham! Robbie punches the truck right in its grill like the Hulk, causing it to flip over, back over front, and come to a skidding halt down the road, taking out several cop cars with it. She runs away as accidents begin to pile up. Or exterior alleyways. With the choppers and cop cars in hot pursuit, Robbie struggles to keep moving as her circuits fry. But it's no use, and she finally falls to her knees. With the cop car and chopper closing in and sirens going off everywhere, she grabs her head in agony, and blam! She emits another huge EMP blast, this time causing the entire lighting grid to fail. The choppers crash land and the remaining cop cars skid and slide to a halt. Robbie looks at the terror she has unleashed, no idea what to do, nowhere to run when... Hey! Robbie looks up as Shirley screeches her bike to a heroic sideways stop, extends her hand and intones... Come with me if you want to live. <laughs> Robbie struggles onto Shirley's bike and they ride off as a telephone pole collapses where Robbie just stood. We're in Ned's house later. Shirley pulls up to the house and Robbie hops off. The two friends look at each other. Why did you help me? I betrayed you and I'm the worst. You're not the worst. You're human. We mess up sometimes, but I forgive you. That's what friends do. Aw, like a restart button. Yeah, I mean, that's weird phrasing, but yeah. <laughs> they hug. It's a sweet moment, or at least as sweet as a teenage girl unknowingly hugging a killing machine can be. In Ned's basement workshop later that night, with only her face on, Robbie stands with her metal insides opened up as Ned and Dale, badly bruised, clean her beer-soaked machinery. And then the helicopter crashed, and then Shirley saved my life, and then we hugged! The end! Well, I guess we all learned a lesson today. Sometimes being yourself can get you killed. And sometimes not being yourself can get you killed. Da Dale laughs way too hard for a beat then. <laughs> Sorry, I, I think my brain is swollen. So, so wait, you're saying that sometimes I should be myself, but sometimes I shouldn't? That is very confusing. It's called being human. Aw, group hug for no reason. As Ned and Robbie hug it out, Dale's phone buzzes with a private number. Exterior Ned's house moments later, Dale steps into the backyard and answers his phone. Hello? Hello, Dale. Your sister should be more careful. Dale's face goes white. Mom? You're alive? And we cut to black. End of episode. I hope you enjoyed that craziness. As always, thanks to my co-host Ben Blacker. Thanks to Kaylin West for recording. Uh, thanks to Arts and Sciences, Matt, Mark, and Mal for letting us use the space. Thank you to Noah Findling for handling just oh so many things. 
Please subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or Maximum Fun, wherever you get your podcasts. We don't want you to miss an episode. Please leave us a rating while you're there uh, over on iTunes. And you really should follow us on Twitter at Dead Pilots Pod and on Instagram, Facebook at Dead Pilot Society. You can you know tell us what you're thinking about the episodes there. We do really look at that, uh, and you'll find out about our live shows. Don't forget, go to Largo-LA.com, get your tickets for our November 12th show. It's going to be amazing. Until next time, I'm Andrew Reich. Thank you for listening. Following the news is hard and it sucks. How do you know which stories are important? Which sources do you trust in this post-truth world of reactionary journalism? I'm Brett Black. And I'm Travis McElroy. And we host a podcast called Trends Like These. We cover trending news stories. We debunk misleading clickbait headlines. And we always try to throw in a little bit of good news. In our quest for truth. So join us every week on MaximumFun.org or wherever podcasts are found.